Hello, and welcome to the CDO Magazine interview series. I am Michael Wilcox with Stratascale. And today I have the pleasure of talking with David Sims, Staff Vice President, Security Technology Services at Elevance Health. So David, thank you for meeting with me today. Michael, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, I have to admit, when I looked at your LinkedIn profile, because this is the first opportunity today that we've had a chance to meet in person, I looked at your CISSP number and you have me beat. You're actually under 50,000 for the CISSP. So you've held that credential for a very long time. Um, I'd be interested if you just want to share a quick story about your focus on cybersecurity and how you got into cyber before we talk about healthcare and digital transformation. Well, Michael, thank you. I, I view that as a compliment, and uh, and I'd be happy to tell you about my journey into information security. I uh, I speak with a, a lot of different uh, technologists, and and we kind of laugh about it when uh, when I tell a story. I I think I was forced to information security. I was a a technologist, a data center manager, and, and network manager uh, for a period of time before I came here. And uh, during that time. I found myself explaining to information security professionals of the day the, the technologies that I managed and secured. I was already doing the job. I just wasn't calling myself a security professional. And so I got tired of hearing no from the information security staff that I worked with. And I decided if you can't beat them, you join them. And so I went and I studied for the CISSP exam. And I uh, I was a, I was one of the lucky folks that, uh, that passed on the first attempt. And I had a, a some very great mentors and a lot of really good uh, coaching to help me get through it, but I did. And I would say after passing the test, I, I started to move into information security and more security focused uh, efforts. And it took me before, you know, I, I used to describe myself as a tweener. I was, a, I was an operations focused IT person with a security background. Over time, I became a security person with an operations background. And so it's taken me a while to get here, but for, for the last 20 years or so, I would say I'm an information security professional. Um, so at, I, I just laughingly say I was tired of hearing no, and so I wanted to find yes. I love it. You know, many times in IT security, the CISO can be seen as Dr. No, which is not the most efficient way of getting things done. So I love that story. And security hasn't changed at all in the past 20 years, right? <laughs> <laughs> I I think uh, I think we both have to laugh at that one a bit. It is it has evolved a great deal, and I think uh, I think we're starting to see uh, some of the things that we talked about early on occurring. And so things like building security into environments, we're really starting to see the necessity of that. The open internet, zero trust. There are there are a lot of things out there now that are really pushing product focus to quality. And as we know, quality and security are, are synonymous, right? Quality, or I'm sorry, security is a principal aspect of quality. People just expect it, right? You don't buy a car without brakes. And so you certainly wouldn't buy an application that you thought was unsafe. Absolutely. And if you look at some of those triads like confidentiality, integrity, availability, or people, process, and technology, you do have some constants in the space as well. I'd like to steer the conversation towards some of the challenges or opportunities that we have with talent acquisition and management strategies. We've seen at all levels in healthcare, there have been so many reported challenges finding the appropriate levels of talent. And we know that technology can help to make people and processes more efficient. So my first question for you today, David, is 
how can technology be leveraged to drive greater efficiency in healthcare, especially as you're looking at talent acquisition and management strategies? It's a great question. Technology is an enabler. It's not the it's not the goal. It is a way that we get to a place. It's a, it's an enabler. It's a key that unlocks a door. It's a car that we drive to a place. And so we have to find ways to use it better to identify talent, to help them learn more about what's necessary and help them to get feedback about their actions. When we think about about talent and technology, people will automatically think about HR systems and screening. And and certainly those are wonderful systems and are very effective, but they're a crutch sometimes as well. There's a human aspect to to hiring or to, to identifying talent. And so we have to we have to do things to broaden the net. We have to find ways to get into the into the uh, the fabric of the the environment that we live in, the place where we are. And so uh, getting out into into organizations like CDO or like ISSA or others, and in networking, making contact with people, forming mentorship relationships with folks, identifying coaches, and and being a mentor or coach for others. I think that that mentoring is a, a wonderful way to establish a network, and it's also a great way to establish a ready uh, a ready uh, complement of folks that you might talk to for a position you need to fill. And so that personal component, that investment, the the leadership investment that you make when you go and you coach, you go and you mentor, it comes back both ways, right? You you absolutely help that person, but in so doing, you've helped yourself. You form better thought processes. You you become better at assisting and aiding people, and so those are all those are all things that I think of. And I, I'm, you know, I'm I'm told that there's a talent crisis in, you know, in in industry or in many industries, and I I think that's probably true. But I wonder if there's not maybe a leadership crisis that goes along with that, and it's it's us not investing enough. I think that's important when you talk about mentoring. Many organizations have established mentoring programs, but sometimes it's just within the department where somebody is job shadowing somebody else. And it's been my experience that expanding that, like bringing your talent acquisition, bringing recruiting, but bringing other people in the organization into that conversation is extremely important, you know, because the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics has talked about the negative unemployment that we've got in cybersecurity. But as I talk to some CISOs like yourself, you seem optimistic that you're actually going to be able to rise to that challenge because you're doing things that put people first and maybe after the fact, then you give them the skills that they need. Are there any specific things that you're doing to kind of establish a good mentoring program at Elevance? Yes, Michael. I've, I've got to step back for one second, though. I'm I'm a staff vice president of the organization that I work in, and I report to the CISO. So I I do appreciate the promotion, but I can't accept it right now. Um, regarding regarding establishing mentorship and and formal mentorship programs, I I think they're very important. And what happens when an organization establishes a, a formal program is they they send a message to leaders and to staff that this is important to us. Right. Senior leadership has said, we think this is important and that's good, but it's not enough. Right. A formal mentorship program is is a nine to five and eight to five kind of thing that we do when we're wearing the sport coat and and uh, and doing businessy things. Right. A real mentorship, uh, uh, you know, real uh, people focused strategy on mentorship means that you're a mentor anytime you're needed. 
It means that you're a coach anytime you're needed. And so you'll find some of your best mentors in volunteer organizations. I'm a, a, a scouting volunteer for 22 years. And so I've, I've located many people that have enriched my life and my career just through there. I know other folks that have, uh, have been in youth movements, football, youth athletics, football, uh, basketball, and others. Same thing. Right. They they establish networks around them of people that, that that may they may have known in grade school that now come back to work for them someday because of because they were a great youth coach. Right. I can I can point to three people that I know right now that that have done that. And so um, I am very optimistic about our future because I, I get to you know, I get to work with youth a lot and I get to see how smart they are and how inquisitive they are. And so we can we can have the kids these days talk if we want to. But the truth is, the kids these days are just as great as any others. And there's there's a lot of talent out there for us to grab. Um, We have to steer them towards us. We've got to find you know, we've got to be open to all channels to find people to bring in job changers, um, you know, uh, people fresh out of high school, people out of tech schools, people out of college. All of those are are channels and ways to come into this organization or come into a a security organization and provide meaningful output. I think so many times uh, we have a cliche that builds up around our industry that we all wear black hoodies and we hack things, right? And and some of us us are very good at that. And that's very important, right? We need to have those abilities. However, we also have project managers. We also have people that do administrative tasks. We also have people that do just about anything you would find in an IT organization. And so we need all of those talents, not just not just the bits and bytes, but all of those talents, the organized people that are really task driven and oriented, like to get things done. I don't care what they're doing now. I can find a good I can find a good thing for them to do in my organization. Yeah, I think that's important. And what you're describing, I've had people talk to me about cybersecurity like it's a scene out of the CSI TV show where it's all glowing purple and green lights and there's all this cool stuff. And much of security, as we know, doesn't look like that. So planting the seeds with young minds at an early age about what cybersecurity is and all the opportunities like you just did, that's incredibly important because it's not about the bits and bytes. You've got governance, risk and compliance, identity and access management, so many really important facets of that. So I'm just wondering, with the increase in integration between technologies in medical, pharmaceutical fields, how do you think that emerging talent needs are evolving? And are there going to be any specific skills that are going to be more critical? Wow, that, that's a really great question. And it, and it really frames up what we were just talking about just, just so well. Um, we will need new talent. We'll need new and different ways to uh, to embrace technology and utilize it. And, and I think the most important talent we're going to need is a flexible mind. We're going to need people that are inquisitive, that want to go in and learn things and, and learn new ways to do it. Uh, the, this is the way we, we've done it for 30 years, should be the anti-pattern for the next 30 years, right? We, we can't do it the way we've done it all these other times. We've got to go out and find new ways. And we need people with inquisitive and open free minds to go out and do that. Now add to that if they're if they if they know a little bit about coding, that's great. Maybe they're a video gamer and they like to solve puzzles. I think we can find a way to to incorporate that too. We want people with free minds. I, I think that's great. And you know, as we look at headlines right now, I think there are a lot of concerns around artificial intelligence and generative 
AI. Is that something that you think is going to be an emerging skill set? Is it something that you're looking for as you're looking at new talent, just how they think about problems and there's security embedded in that, but it's a little bit different from traditional security. It's a great question. And, and I can't say that I'm actually physically going and, and looking specific, specifically for, for AI talent. There are folks within my organization who do. But what I can what I can tell you is that AI is going to be an enabling technology. It's going to be it's going to become prolific in everything that we do. That's information security, everything right down to development, everything right down to customer service, everything. We're going to find aspects of that in almost every job. And so anyone entering the industry, anyone entering the market that knows more about AI is going to be they're going to be that much better off. The other thing I can I can say about this is I'm encouraging my current staff. We can't run and hide from AI. It's here, and it's something that we need to embrace and understand. We're uh, we can stand in front of the big rock and let it roll over us, or we can try and find a way to help the big rock do something useful for us. And so AI is the big rock, and we've got to find a way to make it useful. I was talking to an attorney recently, and I think they said something along the lines of attorneys aren't going to lose their jobs to AI, but they might lose their jobs to attorneys who know how to use AI. And I think you could blanket that across almost any field. I think I'm stealing it, but I'm going to turn it to information security professional instead of attorney. That's that's brilliantly said. Awesome. So as we dig deeper into the healthcare space, we have clinicians who often request simpler access because you don't want to be seen as Dr. No. You have administrative burdens, you have burnout that can take place. So what solutions or areas of focus can resolve the challenges related to multiple logins and transcriptions and just, you know, when technology and security get in the way, what solutions or areas of focus can resolve those challenges? Michael, that's a that's a nuanced question because technology and security are the things that are seen to be in the way. But in truth, these are these are patterns and habits that are developed by the business over time. And so it's going to take a little bit of time to unwind some of the things that we're talking about. When we have multiple logins, that means we have multiple systems and we probably have multiple identities within those systems and so on and so on. We're in a very uptime, critical uh, span of life, right? In our, we expect our IT systems to be there now, always, and we need them always. And so we can't accept downtime. We have a way that we do this and we like to do it the same way every time. And we don't like change on our systems. And so these are things that contribute to uh, your technology and security professionals not being able to patch, not being able to update, not being able to do away with older technologies. And so as we carry that tech bloat with us, we create uh, longer and longer access change. It, it becomes harder for us to get into systems. And so as we as we change from that mentality, as a business, as an organization, as a, as a population, right? As we get away from that, if we free ourselves from that, we can modernize technology, we can modernize access systems. And in, in so doing, we can, make, uh, we can make singular access much easier. Identity is really the key. We need solutions that can, that can share identity amongst themselves so that if I come into an office and I'm known to any system in that office, I'm known to every system in that office and my access levels are appropriate. Right. And so we can use things like uh, like uh, bio. We can use things like proximity. There are other ways that we can do this without without the traditional login. And so if we have modern solutions that use modern authentication, 
we can then provide those free and easy free flowing uh, situation solutions that lead to situations where physicians feel better about the technology they're using and that helps to improve the experience for our patients and the folks that they care for yeah when when we were chatting earlier today you mentioned something that really stuck with me and it was about focusing on the fundamentals and getting your house in order i thought that was really important you're describing elements of that like I'm hearing zero trust when you're talking about identity and access management as an important pillar in technology, I'm thinking about zero trust as a very important process. Is that something that you're looking at within your organization is simplifying, focusing on the fundamentals so that you can demonstrate measure progress over time? Maybe you don't even use the words, but it sounds like you're working on ZT. We, we're, we're very interested in zero trust and we, we certainly are working on it. And uh, I and my partners all have a very specific part of the organization that we we help to help along the zero trust journey. The first thing that, that uh, my boss CISO has stressed to us is that this isn't a software package or a destination. There's not one thing that we're gonna do that's gonna make us zero trust. It's a journey and it's, it's going to require effort. It's gonna require effort from the security staff, certainly, but it's also gonna require effort from our business partners and our technology partners as we recognize those needs and we, we improve our solutions. It means that we're, we're gonna be doing regular patches. We're gonna do regular updates. We're gonna identify new ways to do things. And we're gonna be swift to adopt them. And, and all of those things, are departures from the way that we've done business, those old paradigms that we've done business in the past. And, I, and I'm not really talking about my organization specifically, I'm talking about my experience over time. We've, we've established a paradigm of a protected network and we have a castle where we keep everything. Mm -hmm. That's the established paradigm and we all think in that when we think about, so we secure the castle and the, and the family jewels and, and that's how we do it. Well, in, in a zero trust environment, that's not how we do it, but every block in the castle is now secure. Every aspect of the castle now has its own special defense and, and its own nuanced layers that you would have to defeat to be able to, to attack the castle. And so how do we build that castle, right? How do we do that? And that's the thing that we've all got to, everyone needs to expand their horizons on this and really think truly and, and seriously out of the box. How do we get to that place? How do we, how do we create that environment? One of the first things that we have to do is 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 fix identity or to modernize identity. Yeah, it's so important. And over the past couple of years with the global pandemic, it's like the moat has been breached and we've got remote workers that were disrupted. You know, these on-premise knowledge workers went out, started working at home. A lot of people are accustomed to that now. They've embraced that lifestyle, but it does introduce some new challenges for security leaders. So as remote work is more and more prevalent and we go beyond the traditional operating techniques, how has this model been embraced in healthcare, especially in your organization? And has it changed the way that you manage your resources in general? A really great question with a lot of different ways to answer. Uh, I, uh, I first have to say that I'm really proud of my organization and the way that we've, we've managed this. We, uh, we went home one day and we were doing productive work the next. Now there were an awful lot of things going on in the background to make that happen. And an awful lot of really good people made, made a lot of uh, hard decisions and did a lot of good work. But in the end, we were, we were a productive company the day we were in the office, we were a productive company the day we went home. 
And that's because of some stellar IT work and some really good information security work. And I, I'm just super proud of them. Um, but that's changed the paradigm again, right? We, we think of the castle in traditional virtual private networking. We, we bring everybody back to the castle and we send everyone back out to the fields to work, right? Yep. That's the, the castle doctrine of, of information security or really of techni- technology delivery. Well, there have been things happening out in the environment that have, have been kind of de-emphasizing the castle for quite a while. So if we think of private and public cloud delivery, for instance, software as a service is another. When we think of those things in, in the way that they're delivered, well, they're not in a castle at all, right? And so we don't bring them back to the castle. We work on them where they're at. And the way we do that is we we, we back to identity again, of course. Identity is going to be one of the, the most important things. But then we also secure those, those tools that we're working with uh, in the environment. So think of uh, think of your laptop. Uh, think of uh, think of your iPad or your your other electronic devices. Those devices become very much more important to you because they are you're sitting at home in, alone in your office working on off hours doing whatever. That equipment goes away or that equipment is compromised in some way. Your connection to your work and therefore to your employer is now disrupted. And so we really need to take very good care of those devices. And the way to do that is through consistent patch management, vulnerability management, and awareness. There's no other place where you see more exposure in an enterprise to, to vulnerable software. Um, you know, in, in, a, in a large organization, you may have several hundred thousand devices with the same vulnerability that could be compromised in the same way, and, and, and it could be fixed with one patch, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's very important to pay attention to those technologies, to understand the applications that run on them, to understand the networks and the paths to those, those places, and certainly, absolutely, to have good identity management. Is Elevance having employees return to work? Are you doing like certain days where they come in? Because I think there's also a cultural aspect. I, I think that technology is fantastic. Obviously, we can interact with each other without being in person, but there's that extra magic, that extra dynamic that comes from people getting together. Is that something you're doing with your teams as well, just to encourage collaboration? So I can speak to my team and I can speak to what I've observed with my employer. I can't really tell you about the corporate strategy because I'm not privy to all of it. But what I see my employer doing is we're modernizing the offices and we're making them much more useful and attractive for events, for folks to come in and brainstorm, to whiteboard, to come together and share culture, right? To get yeah. to get together and, and do things at the gym or wherever that might be. So the office is now a destination. It's not some place that I have to go and rat race into and fight traffic to be there at nine so that I can then stumble out at five, right? It's not that kind of a, it's not that kind of environment anymore. It's, it's uh, I, I feel like my employer is pushing it to make it more lively. Um, mm-hmm. And now, now the way I'm supporting that mission is with my team, I'm doing things like open lunches. So I, I sit, I'm a, I'm a senior leader in my organization. And so there are people that are going to be interested in seeing me. I do things like uh, ask me anything sessions, certainly virtually, but I'm also going to be in the office now uh, at least once a month. I'm going to go take everyone to lunch in the cafeteria. We're going to sit around and we're going to talk about whatever comes up. And I'm going to make that uh, a regular practice for them so that, so that uh, I'm available, you know, and, and certainly I want to be available much more than that. And I walk around the office and spend time with uh, my teammates there too, but this is one way that I'm doing it. Another way that uh, one of my other teams is uh, is is practicing office cohesion is they get together and they they take a 
an exercise class in our gym. Uh, and it could be very competitive. <laughs> it, it could be, and I refuse to be seen there because I don't want to look that bad. But uh, I, I think I'll probably eventually join them. But they're they're doing uh, these imaginative things to make use of that wonderful space that's been provided for us. And I think we have to think about it that way as employers. We need to attract people to the office, not demand or require them. And so we're trying to find new and different ways to, to inspire that in leadership. And culture culture comes from, from people that come together. And we've got to find ways to bring people together so that we can share that culture. Yeah, culture is more than just a motivational post around the wall that says culture with a bunch of people rowing a boat together, right? It actually requires them to work together. <laughs> it's it's an investment. And, and really, the organization has to invest. The leaders in the organization have to be a part of that investment. And then the the folks that, that we're trying to sell this to have to buy, right? And so I think uh, where I'm at, we've got a really great message and, and some compelling items to bring people to the, the places we want to see them. And we have a great culture there with a lot of good people who want to do the right thing. So I think it's going to, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think that's pretty much everything that I had for you today. So again, I want to thank you, David, for joining me here today. And for our listeners, we want to make sure that you visit cdomagazine.tech for additional interviews. So thank you, David. Thanks, Michael. It was a pleasure.